Hello, and welcome back to Unsolved Cases and Suspicious Faces. I'm Izzy. That's Jackie. Hello. And uh, we've got a friend here named Storm. You guys don't have to like him, though. In fact, I prefer if you didn't. I'm actually the best, so. I disagree. (laughs) But hello, I am Storm. How have you guys been? Peachy keen. Good. Actually, I want to say something. Um, that's not allowed. Have you guys been out and about with everybody with their corona masks on right now? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know how I know we rag on dad all the time on these, and I'm going to preface this with I'm sorry, dad, but. (laughs) Dad, we're we're quickly dropping to the bottom of his favorite. list. He's going to be the only one that reviews us. He's going to give us like (laughs) half a star. (laughs) Mean, untalented hacks. (laughs) But, Okay. So every time I walk by somebody in their masks, I just want to do the dad thing and nod and go, howdy. <laughs> howdy. I don't know. Howdy. I get like, it's like it's an itch on the inside. I'm like, no. <laughs> and you can just start wearing a cowboy hat too now. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Make one out of like newspaper. We'll figure out how to make you newspaper cowboy hat. So you definitely uh, you do, don't you look crazy. The crafts thing now, right? Yeah. You yeah. Yeah, okay. Make it You're look like a wizard Etsy. hat, though. <laughs> okay. Yeah, stars on it. Yeah, stars. I'll do even like pink. the rope that you tie under your uh, your neck, so it looks super legitimate. Oh, cool! Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> make one for Dad too. All right, we'll be twins. Hey, Dad, put- we're gonna make you a cowboy hat. <laughs> we have to put you the uh, the unsolved cases logo on both yeah. of them. But- oh, we'll put our little guy in the trench coat. Nice. Free advertising. Yeah. That's why we have you here, Storm. The good ideas. Full of ideas. Yeah. (laughs) I knew this was a good idea. So I started that new job and it's going really good and I'm glad I did it just because I get really bored staying at home all the time. So it's nice. I mean, it's only two days a week, two nights a week. So it's not like stressful or hard or anything, if that makes sense. But I uh, last night was my second shift by myself because it's overnights and you're tired and I get paranoid brain on too much caffeine. I was like, convinced I was going to be fired because part of the night audit is is there's no managers there so you kind of have to make decisions so even though I've been a manager before I'm like terrified they don't do things the way the other hotel I worked at did so I'm just like I mean it's been three days and they're leaving (laughs) you alone so if you mess up it's really their fault yeah yeah (laughs) I'll put that on my unemployment claim oh good idea (laughs) I'll sign it if you want okay deal my sister said (laughs) <laughs> that it was it was the hotel's fault. Thank you, the end. Beautiful. Good ideas, too. We should send this to your bosses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, uh, I'll email them a link. Yeah, go ahead and say the name of the hotel where you work and leave it a review while we talk. That's yeah, good. yeah, perfect. Uh, everyone can come find me overnight. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it It is in a, the only thing I'm going to say, it is in a busy spot of Reno, so it does make me a little nervous, but we have security there, so it's not a big deal or anything. They walk you through your car, right? You just beat them up. They don't, really? but I leave at seven in the morning when it's light outside, and the only people out at seven in the morning, really, are people that are going to work. Until somebody that wants to kill you walks by. It's dun, dun, it's dun. morning time. There's light outside and there's lots of witnesses. People don't die in the daytime. Now I'm just saying I know why I'm here. <laughs> I am here for when you get murdered and we have to do your unsolved murder case. That's yep. cr- I'm going to invite you're you actually, in advance. <laughs> you're actually here to take my spot once I've been murdered. <laughs> oh. 
That's not. And then when Jackie gets murdered, our friend Sammy is going to take her spot. So we're really just making sure that, you know, someone's there to, right, to take Sammy, her spot. Sammy, you're the new homie. Yeah, she listens. And make Gabby, they can switch. Oh, how about they just do like a three-person podcast? They're going to be my pallbearers too. Just them. Oh, oh, that's not very nice. <laughs> one's going to be in the front, one's going to be in the back. They're just going to be like crying because they're so sad. And then they're not going to be able to move because cause coffins are heavy. Coffins are heavy, not you. <laughs> no, I am going to be eating a lot of nachos oh, beforehand. So. Just, just to make it extra hard. <laughs> like, haha, love you, but also fuck I you. Just want, I just want the physical weight of my casket to be the same as my mental weight of their depression as at my passing perfect <laughs> what wow jackie do you it has to be equal do our best friends know that you hate them so much like, i love them you just want them to suffer at your I funeral trust nobody else to do it better <laughs> oh my god okay well you heard not your dad best. after all the shit we've been talking about <laughs> dad be like let's just Throw her in the ditch. It's fine. <laughs> no. <laughs> Let the animals get her. Circle of life. Let's go. That's awful. <laughs> I know. I, I don't think that, Dad. This is why I'm his favorite. Uh, no, we've established that we're at the bottom now, so. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you, can't, you can't be his favorite and least favorite at the same time. Well. Storm, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> yeah. Dad, message us. Leave us a review. Tell yeah. us who's your favorite. <laughs> yeah, Dad, let us know. Have we been written out of the will? I just. Are you gonna became the favorite? <laughs> oh no, he always wanted a son. I knew it. <laughs> he has two now. He can't complain. Also due he... to us. So gold stars. Gold stars. Extra gold stars. Uh, we're still at the bottom of the list, though. <laughs> <laughs> Between all the random people approaching him on the street, telling him to call the ambulance, and us telling him we're going to make him a newspaper cowboy hat. Oh, that wasn't my idea. <laughs> You're involved. You can't get out of this. <laughs> it's been a pretty eventful week, I'd say. I don't know how I'm going to get this edited and uploaded in time, so it might be late, and I'm okay with that. I'm I got my associates. You did? I did. Well, it's not back from the mail yet, but I finished my last course and mailed everything in. So, yay! I'm so happy for you. Yeah, I've never had a degree before, so I I am angry that you finished before me, but I'm also I proud have of you. Letters after my name now, right? That's how it works. N- no, I don't think. Esquire. I don't think. I don't think. Jackie. Jackie. Esquire. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure it's Jackie Dumb Lady. <laughs> DL after your name as the uh... oh, that's so mean <laughs> hey you but know wait wait this means I'm smarter than you know uh no well I mean I technically <laughs> I technically <laughs> have enough credits for an associates and I'm starting my junior year I just sounds like a lot of excuses to it me. it is it's a lot of excuses stop <laughs> making me feel bad wow. I just worked really hard it's all and it's all for nothing I wanted to be the first kid with a degree it's You'll okay there <laughs> I'll be sure to text you like encouraging things every day. Yeah, they just every day send me a different picture of you with your. It's degree. not as hard as you think. I did it in. <laughs> never no? mind the fact I'm starting my junior year in August. <laughs> I never went to college. Three <laughs> courses online. That's all. Okay, talk to me when you have to study languages. Okay. I said to the linguist. <laughs> uh, I'm so proud of you guys. You try so hard. 
Jackie fully speaks another language. I'm just giving her shit. I am fluent. I'm fluent. Yeah. Uh, Starmie, I'm going to need you to pull your weight. Start bringing in listeners. (laughs) You got it, dude. (laughs) It it might help if you listen to more than one episode. I don't know. Not an expert, but. (laughs) Well, you know, I would do that, but that would require me to actually like you. And I'm just, I'm not sure. That's true. I totally get it. My voice is just really irritating. I don't know how so many people, not a lot of people, but people have listened. Yeah, I I just, I don't know, man. (laughs) To jump into it, Jackie, do you have a, a murder to tell us, or did you uh, forget? I have a murder. Oh, okay. Finally. I know that's surprising. Yeah. <laughs> Finally. Get out of here. No. Okay. So. 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 I think I'm just going to start. Okay. Okay. It is October 13th, 1989, so I'm doing kind of an older one again. Okay. 1989. October 1989. 13th. 1989 lucky number 13 well we have just lost i think half of our listeners uh because that's not a really old one jackie that was the year joshua was born oh your husband is kind of (laughs) old so i mean i guess it's october 13th 1989 richard and connie Hare. H-E-R-R, leave their house for work at 8.30 in the morning. Eight-year-old Sherry Hare is alone in the family's house in Warren, Indiana. At the time, she was going to a college in Fort Wayne, which is nearby, and she's studying to become a medical assistant. Um, Her class, cut the ums out. I'm no. sorry, I'm trying to get better at it. I'm not going to cut them out. Everyone needs to I just to need know. a little buzzer. <laughs> Actually, you know what? You know how you can like play pranks on people where you like shake their hand and you have like the electrical zap thing? Are you suggesting we get you a shot collar? Because well, I'm down. Let's do it. When you put it that way, it sounds <laughs> weird. <laughs> you remember when we were little and I convinced you to, to try it? Yeah, you remember when we were little and you put me in the dryer? Hey, and then I you turned like it on? Uh uh-uh, uh, she turned it on. <laughs> I turned it on for a second, and you know what? I didn't force you in the dryer. You got in there willingly. I was deceived. <laughs> it's a miracle we made it out of childhood alive. It's a miracle I made it out. <laughs> you bullied me almost to death. Yeah. Hey. Thanks for reminding ca- me. It builds character. Whatever. It builds character. You're okay. Did you die? No, we're fine. Almost. No, you didn't. You're I was, fine. It was the equivalent of dropping me on my head. <laughs> Which I'm sure happened oh, plenty. You forgot to put your hands up. <laughs> forgot. Have you ever been in a dryer while it's on? I it was have. on for five seconds. You're fine. My, my stepdad did it to me too. What? Oh. That's sad. So as I said, you're fine. You yeah. just forgot to put your hands up. Way to bring down the mood. I'm depressed now. Thanks. <laughs> Hold on. No, wait, no, there's nothing back for this. That. 
Oh. Back to happier things. Let's talk about the murder. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Oh, boy. This is a mess. Okay, let's continue. Her classes at the college started later in the morning, so she's still home when her parents leave for work. The next thing we hear is about 4.30 p.m. when Richard, her dad, comes home from work. He eventually goes up to Sherry's room and opens the door, and he finds her on her bedroom floor. Okay, that's uh, not where she should be, I don't think. She had been bludgeoned to death. Ooh, no. And... uh, She had also been beaten, well, she had been beaten with multiple objects. I'm sorry, one more time? Multiple objects, and then she was stabbed in the throat with a pair of scissors. Okay, pause. How mad do you have to be at someone to, one, bludgeon them to death, two, bludgeon them to death with multiple objects, and three, then stab them in the throat? Right. Definitely somebody she knew. I feel like this is definitely a crime of passion. Mad Obviously, I'm not an psycho. expert, but hmm? mad or psycho. That's true. Could be just somebody off their rock. Or serial killers do some pretty depraved shit to people they don't know. So. Oh, yeah. oh yeah, we'll get into that a little later. <laughs> dun dun. <laughs> I'm starting. I can't sleep at night anymore. But let's continue. The police believe she was killed sometime between 9 a.m. and noon. That that's a okay. Those are not murdering hours. I don't think. Right, the middle of the day, like we were talking about earlier. Storm, is that is that when you commit your murders, or do you generally wait for for a later time? Ah, uh, eight o'clock sounds about right. <laughs> Get him, please. <laughs> he doesn't Tricked wear a you. watch, though. He has to judge it by the angle of the sun. <laughs> he, yeah, carries so- a, he carries around a sundial everywhere. It's really weird. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Hey, you gotta have your quirks. <laughs> can't be one of those boring serial killers i guess jesus christ nope. just before um, coffee and just after the sundial hits the perfect time frame <laughs> when the 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 sun is just at that right angle and it's so beautiful outside yep oh boy get him police <laughs> never found anything to be missing from the house but there were also no signs of forced entry so usually those things together also mean that it was probably somebody she knew. Because if there's no signs of forced entry, either you leave your house unlocked, which is more common in rural communities, or she knew who the person was and she let them into the house and then they killed her. Mm. Police received a tip from um, somebody in the area that they saw a suspicious man parked near the house on the morning of her death. They described him as a white male in his early 20s, driving a 1970s-style maroon Camaro. Well, that's how you have to say, yeah, that guy, that guy did it. The man has never been found. The police never made any arrests or established a real motive for her murder. Dang it. And her father passed away in 1998. But I have some other things. Okay. Some quotes from the police officers. Dennis Houts, an investigator, said about a month. This is this news article was from a month after the murder. The investigator said, we don't work on it eight hours a day, but there isn't a day that goes by that we don't discuss it. Wow. How brutal does your murder have to be that police officers that see this kind of thing, I'd, I'd assume probably fairly often, discuss it daily that's right. pretty brutal yeah i just i mean 
hit with multiple objects and stabbed in the throat with scissors. I mean, it's it's that in itself has got to be a scene. Definitely, probably like blood all over the place and not something you can go home and just forget about. But the thing about this case to me, the reason why I picked this one, I know it's short, guys, but there were never any, really any leads. I put a picture, I'm sure Samuel will post it later. I put a Google Maps picture of this house, and it's pretty far off the main road. It's far away from any other houses. So really what happened was somebody in this car drove up to her house, maybe one or two other cars passed by the house with it there. The guy got back in his car and drove away, and that's it. That's all the police had. Oh, man. They never found the car. They never had any suspects, nothing. So it went from potentially being someone that she knew, right? Mm-hmm. And if we have a description on a vehicle, and if it's someone that she knew, then wouldn't you be able to go off of like who she would know with that vehicle in that situation? So maybe it isn't actually someone that she knows. Maybe. The police wasn't in the house. It wasn't in the driveway at the house. It was just in the area. So even if they found the guy who drove the car, there's nothing saying that this person was the murderer. But he is... Sorry, I'm looking at that map right now, and she's very isolated. Yes. So for someone to break into the house, uh, not have anybody here, anybody else in the house hear them, and then bludgeon someone to death in her room, right, is insane. Like, and stab her in the throat with scissors. Oh, and stab her in the throat with scissors. scissors. But like looking at this, there's what one person down the street a little bit, and another person like two other people not even on the same street but like half a mile away indiana it's farmland country like a mile away from obviously not a mile away from her closest neighbor but everyone else around i don't even see really anyone else in this google maps picture (laughs) so there's there's only there's just nobody four people like so i i mean i guess it makes sense that he could just Nobody could have seen anything because the the one person that's kind of close by would have to be like looking out at the exact right time. Right. So, I don't know. That's just crazy. Um, before I finish up, I want to give a little bit better description of the vehicle. Since nobody knows anything about this case, I'm hoping that bringing it out here on the podcast, people listening, if people remember anything, kind of like unsolved cases where. People talking about it generates leads on its own. And this one is one that I think is really sad. So, Mm. okay. It's a mid to late 1970s dark red or maroon Chevrolet Camaro. The car had stock sports wheels and a darker double stripes running from the front to the back on the hood, roof, and trunk. So if anybody sees that car, call the police. Or, well, knew who had a car like that in Warren, Indiana. In 1980, 1989, to be exact. Yeah, if you know anybody in Warren, Indiana, call that's the not police. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> right now, <laughs> you're all guilty. Oof, she said it, not me. I'm just. <laughs> if you're gonna email us and be angry, uh, please direct your email at Jackie. I'm okay with that. Oof. Okay. And that oh, yeah. is starting to hate mail off early. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> All of our hate mail is actually going to be from Storm. It's been like six months now, hasn't it? With, with my one uh, podcast I listen to. I guess <laughs> I'm at like one and a half now, technically, because I'm here listening. <laughs> yeah, technically. You're getting a, a raw and edited version. I, I mean, Jackie, this is episode eight. So I'd say maybe three months. If you count all the breaks. Oh, I am kind of an asshole. There's no yeah, way. Yeah, fuck you, Storm. Well, I was anticipating you <laughs> sending me the things and the links and stuff. And it's on Spotify. Just... Yeah. <laughs> you you know what, Izzy? You're right. Really bad at this. Three months. Ugh. Three that months. Much longer. You guys. I'm so proud of you. Thank <laughs> you. We actually Get stuck with it this time. We uh we recorded our first episode about twelve different times. They were all That's garbage. True. And then Jack and I were like, we gotta just we gotta just do this. And then we did it. And here we are. Thank you. Good night. Goodbye forever. Wait, hold on. You haven't even done your story yet. You can't leave. <laughs> Final episode. Goodbye. Oof. <laughs> I was here for the end. Yeah. I see what it is. You were here for the beginning and the end. It was the sundial. I'm here to kill the, <laughs> kill the podcast. That's what it really it's is. about that time. Oh, God. I'm sorry, Jackie. Was that the end of your story? Yes. That is the story of Sherry Hare. H-E-R-R. Hare. Hare. Uh, do you have any sources that you used? Uh, yes. One second. I'm just going to call you out. Cite your sources, goddammit. No, I finished my story, and then while we were talking, I closed out of my notes. <laughs> but I'm pulling it back up. I'm so disappointed. Okay, okay. It's called the Muncie Star. It's an Indiana newspaper. I don't know if it's still in print. This article that I got it from was written by Drew Brown in 1990. But okay. you can't even Wikipedia this murder. It's not there. There's, oh, like that's... I said, there's nobody talking about this one. And that, I read about it and it was so sad to me. So I was like, I'm going to talk about this one. <laughs> that's, I mean, if you can't even Wikipedia it, Wikipedia it, that really just shows like how little there is on this case, which is, which is sad. She deserves justice. Her family deserves justice. And I really hope that we're able to find DNA evidence or something like that soon. Mm-hmm. Well, that was a that was a good murder, Jackie. Not a good murder, but a good story. Wow. <laughs> Yikes. Anyway. <laughs> you need to borrow my sundial? Yeah, yeah, if I could. Uh, I also need to borrow a shovel so I can keep digging myself a hole. everyone it's izzy here and if you didn't know i'm the one of us that's responsible for editing and uploading our podcast and i just wanted to let you know about anchor it's the easiest way to make a podcast and just to clarify it's free there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on spotify apple Podcasts, and many more you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. I like to use it because for me, it just makes everything so simple and easy. And it is the best program that I have found to help upload and find sponsorships. And it automatically distributes it for me. There is literally nothing that I have to do in order to get my podcast 
onto all of the listening sites. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. You can record it right from the app, right from your phone, anywhere. It's convenient, it's easy, and best of all, it's free. Okay, so this is nine pages of single space, tiny handwriting, because I I started researching it and I thought, oh, you know, it'll just be, you know, a little bit. It's unsolved, blah, blah, blah. I was wrong. I was so wrong. I didn't even get all the suspects. I just picked five. There's like 15. I, Dang. Yeah, it's... It's really disturbing. And I researched some of this at nighttime while I was... Uh, at work and I was not paranoid at all thank you for asking (laughs) I am doing the the story of Jack the Ripper and the Whitechapel murders which are two different but kind of the same things so Jack the Ripper is only they think responsible for five of the Whitechapel murders and there are 11 Whitechapel murders that all took place in a short amount of time so I'm going to talk about all of the Whitechapel murders, and then specifically Jack the Ripper in that. Uh, Like I said, rabbit hole, so much information, it's crazy. So in the mid-19th century, Britain experienced an influx of Irish immigrants who boosted the population of many major cities. From 1882, Jewish refugees fling, they're called pogroms, which are violent riots that are about massacring or forcing expulsion of ethnic groups out of an area in Tsarist Russia and other areas of Eastern Europe. So Britain was really experiencing a population boom due to Irish immigrants and these Jewish refugees and other people in Europe. So because of this rise in immigration, the parish of Whitechapel in London's East End became increasingly overcrowded with the population increasing to about 80,000 inhabitants by 1888. Because of this work and housing conditions worsened and an economic underclass developed. And just to kind of clarify how bad things were, 55% of children born in this area died before the age of five. So you had less than a 50% chance of surviving if you were born in this area. Oh no. Good lord. Yeah. Robbery, violence, and alcohol dependency were common, and due to the poverty of this area, many women were driven to sex work in order to survive. In October of 1888, it was estimated that there were 62 brothels and 1,200 women participating in sex work. Approximately 8,500 people were residing in the 223 common lodging houses. Um, The modern equivalent of a common lodging house is like a hostel. Do you guys know what that is, or do do you need me to explain? I know what a hostel is, yes. Okay, well, in case somebody out there doesn't know what a hostel is, it's a a house that has common rooms where you could just pay for a bed and you share a room with 10, 15 Yeah, it's not really a house. It's kind of like a a hotel where you have big rooms and like bunk beds in it and you pay for a bed instead of a room. So you can't really expect privacy. You probably are sharing like a communal bathroom. Yeah. But it's cheaper, which is why people like it. All right, mansplainer. Uh, okay, first of all, if <laughs> you're going to just... explain it, explain it right. And second of all, if you were going to explain it anyway, why do you ask if I knew what it was? Because I wanted to make sure. You don't have to be mean to me. I'm not being mean. Storm, no, who's being mean? It's power. Uh, 
Why can't we be friends? <laughs> Why- <laughs> All right. Take the bitch way out. It's fine. <laughs> oh, that's yes. me. Yes. Good, good. <laughs> the economic problems in Whitechapel were accompanied by rising social tensions. Between 1886 and 1889, frequent demonstrations led to police intervention and public unrest. Anti-Semitism, crime, nativism, racism, social disturbance, and severe deprivation influenced public perceptions that Whitechapel was a den of immorality. Uh, I think the uh, the 62 brothels probably had something to do with that but i'm not sure Hmm. and you know probably most of the people calling it a den of immortality were also visiting it on (laughs) the side a den of immortality (laughs) whatever (laughs) you think you're so funny i am hilarious that's gonna be the episode title you're a butthole that's what you are (laughs) and apparently it wasn't Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Whoa. Oh, Damn. Jackie. What? These these people had families. I didn't say that was a skin. good thing. <laughs> I think you did. Everyone, direct your hate mail at Jackie. Whatever. Whatever. I gotta I gotta write this down so I remember the episode titled. The episode title. Also here to bully Jackie. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> Hey, I guess it's dad. This is what I get for making fun of dad. (laughs) (laughs) That's the real reason this is happening. (laughs) It's payback. Probably paid you. He did. I feel like that guy in the meme. Wait, you guys are getting paid? (laughs) (laughs) $1.75, baby. Woo! Anyway, (laughs) so this perception was strengthened in the fall of 1888 when the series of grotesque murders was attributed to jack the ripper and received an unprecedented amount of media coverage jack the ripper is an unidentified serial killer also known as the white chapel yeah the white chapel butcher the white chapel murder and leather apron which are a wide variety of names why leather apron listen fuck if i know man the 1800s were a weird lawless time in the west i don't i don't know maybe maybe you just always wore a leather apron I don't think they would know that. So. Yeah, it's not solved. If it is solved, Izzy and I are going to have a problem. For the entire podcast for this one. It took me so long to research. I will change what we research in order to keep this one. Like, a large number of attacks against women in the East End during this time adds uncertainty to how many victims were the work of one individual. There were 11 murders from 1888 to 1891, but only five are officially attributed to Jack the Ripper, but many people believe that that person is responsible for more. Most experts point to deep slash wounds to the throat, followed by extensive abdominal and genital area mutilation, the removal of internal organs, and progressive facial mutilation as the MO for Jack the Ripper. That's always fun. Yeah, and as you can tell... I'm probably gonna, I well not probably, I'm going to go into detail about what these mutilations were. So before we get there, just to kind of put a content warning, uh, don't listen. I think it's to, a little late for that. I, it's not too late because the the details are way more gruesome. So to put a content warning, if you're squeamish, maybe don't listen to this or fast I'm squeamish. F- well, too bad, but. <laughs> <laughs> oh god okay <laughs> i need you to be squeamish and hear the the ins and outs of this for the entertainment of the populace 
Just tell me nothing happens to their eyeballs, because that's what really gets me. I'm not going to tell you that. I'm pretty sure their ins are their outs. <laughs> oh, 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 Storm. Oh, Storm, they had you families. Already, you already gave the warning. I did. <laughs> okay. That's true. He got you. <laughs> so let's just jump in. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay, good. The first of the Whitechapel murders was a woman by the name of Emma Elizabeth Smith. Emma did participate in sex work, which was and still is a very dangerous job. She returned to the common house that she lived in several times, uh, sporting black eyes that men had given her. She even claimed that once she was thrown out of a window by mm. a, a client. At approximately 1.30 a.m. on April 3rd, 1888, Smith was robbed and sexually assaulted. She had been bludgeoned about her face and received a cut to her ear. Ugh. A blunt object was also inserted into her vagina, causing her uh, peritoneum, which is the membrane forming the lining of the abdominal. I don't ab- know if we need to be this cavity. technical about Too bad. It. I'm being technical. Uh, it caused it to rupture. You need to know the ins and outs, Jackie. It's really important. I don't think I need to know, know the those <laughs> You need to, though. It's important. These things happened. They were terrible. Because it's important, okay? I If I die with, like, that way, I don't want people to know those ends. Anyway. Okay. This <laughs> uh, this attack took place on Osborne Street. Unfortunately, Smith developed um, issues because of everything that happened and died the following day at the London Hospital. Smith stated that she had been attacked by two or three men, one of whom was a teenager. This attack was later linked to Jack the Ripper by the press, but experts believe that it was likely due to gang violence. So she wasn't a Jack the Ripper victim. Right, but she was the one that kind of started the Whitechapel murders that all were in, like, quick succession, kind of, like, between... 1888 and 1891 so within three years 11 people were murdered um the next murder was the murder of martha tabram also known as martha turner who was a sex worker in her late 30s she went down Whitechapel road with mary ann Connolly, who was also known as pearly pole the two met with clients and then went drinking in several pubs along Whitechapel road at some point between 11 30 and 11 45 p.m on august 6th 1888 the group split into couples Martha and her client disappeared through an arch that led to George Yard, also known as Gunthorpe Streets. According to the East London Advertiser, George Yard was one of the most dangerous streets in the area. When the staircase lights in the area were extinguished at 11 p.m., the street was incredibly dark. In the early morning, a woman named Mrs. Hewitt walked past the spot where Martha's body was at, went up to her apartment, and slept soundly through the night and did not hear any noise. A little after 5 a.m., John Sanders Reeves walked out of his apartment and found Martha's body. He hurried off to find a policeman and returned with Constable T. Barrett, who was patrolling nearby. The attack on Martha was described as frenzied. Martha had suffered 39 stab wounds from her throat to her lower abdomen. The killer had used two different blades, the majority being from a pocket knife, while a deep wound to her breast was suspected to be caused by a sword, bayonet, or dagger. Sexual intercourse had not recently occurred, which ruled out rape as a possible motive. There is a debate as to whether or not Martha was a victim of Jack the Ripper, as her injuries were not consistent with the other attacks. So that one was kind of the start to the more gruesome murders. But these next five murders are known as the 
canonical five because they fit the same MO and suffered the, the victim suffered the same injuries. And all of the experts agree that these five are 100% the work of the same, of one person. So this is kind of where it gets a little gruesome. Again, my apologies. The next victim was a woman by the name of Mary Ann Nichols. She was a married mother of five and about 42 years old. She had issues with alcoholism and had left her husband eight years prior. He had not seen or heard from her in the three years previous to her murder. She had lived with her father after moving out of her husband's house, but had moved out of his house as well. Her father had not heard from her in about two years. For the last couple of years, she had been living in the common lodging house um, on Friday, August 31st, 1888. Mary was seen by Mrs. Holland, who was well acquainted with Mary, at the corner of Osborne Street and Whitechapel Road. It was half past 2 a.m. and Mary was intoxicated. Uh, Unfortunately, in this area, that was a common problem. She told the lodging house deputy that she had no money for the night, but that she would get it. The deputy did not trust her and turned her away. Less than an hour and a half after this, uh, after this exchange, Mary's body was found uh, about three quarters of a mile away, so she didn't go very far. The way her body was found proves that she was killed at the spot her body was found because her throat was severed by two cuts down to the vertebrae. The lower part of her abdomen was partially ripped open by a deep, jagged wound, and several other cuts were on the right side of her body, and they were caused by the same knife. Um, Each wound was inflicted in a downward thrusting manner. So I think this is clearly the work of someone that's got a lot of hatred towards women. Yeah, I think that's pretty common in most serial killers. Yeah. What do you think, Storm? Is there some dial tingling? Yeah. Uh... As, as funny as my dial joke is, I, I don't have enough of a thought process on how brutal that actually is or like the causes of that or if it is just like a hatred for women or if it's just like some psychotic breakdown inside of their psyche causing them to just commit specific murders, you know? Mm. So by the sounds of it, definitely. Yeah, it is really hard to comprehend. I... But it sounds... From what you're saying, definitely, like, he's got some underlying dislike, distrust, and such for Ow, hold on. women of that variety. Yeah, my cat just decided he needed to try to sit on my face while I'm sitting up. All right, so the next victim was a woman by the name of Annie Chapman. She led a semi-nomadic life. She was 47 years old at the time of her death. Um, She made up for gaps in her income with sex work. She had two regular clients, one known as Harry the Hawker, and the other was, um, was named Ted Stanley, but was also called the pensioner because he was supposedly a retired soldier. That's what he told everybody. As the police later found out, he was neither a soldier nor retired, but he was a bricklayer, which... I don't know why you would lie about that, but I, you know, I don't live in 1800s London, so. It's interesting that everyone has a nickname. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's really a hallmark of how, like, frenzied the media was Hmm. in this time period because they made sure to um, find all this stuff out. Uh, According to witnesses, Ted would frequently spend Saturday to Monday with Annie. 
Witnesses would also claim that he asked the lodging house deputy to turn Annie away if she was with any other men. Ted completely denied all of this and said he was only with Annie once or twice. Whatever the truth of Ted's relationship with Annie is, he was the cause of the only trouble that the lodging house deputy could remember her being in. So, are you guys ready for some 1800s drama? Yeah. All right. Uh, So, Annie had been loaned a bar of soap by one of her uh, fellow lodging house roommates. Uh, The person that loaned her the bar of soap was named Eliza Cooper. So, Eliza loaned Annie the soap and... Annie gave the soap to Ted to use to wash up and uh, did not return the soap. And so Eliza kept asking for her soap back. And reportedly Annie threw a, a coin at her and said to go buy some more. But this wasn't okay with Eliza and a fist fight broke out between the two over a bar of soap. <laughs> I think wah, there were some other things going on. But yeah, let's say it's because of a bar of soap. The bruising that Annie, because she lost the fight for sure, had... Uh, was still visible on her autopsy. After this and fight, Annie was the one who stole the soap? Yeah. The one- Annie took the soap and didn't return it. She gave it away. Mm. You know, like a bitch. Uh, after this fight, Annie's health started deteriorating and she felt ill. And she felt too ill to do anything. On Saturday, September 8th, 1888, Annie's body was found at about 6 a.m., Her throat was also severed by two deep cuts. Her abdomen had been cut entirely open with a section of flesh from her stomach being placed under her left shoulder. And her small intestines were removed and placed above her right shoulder. Which is... If I... Okay, pro tip. If someone's going to murder me, please keep my intestines on the inside of my body. That's my only request. Thank you. Her autopsy also revealed her uterus and sections of her bladder and vagina were removed. You know, another heavy one. I'm almost done with the victims. I'm not almost done with the victims. I still have. Don't worry, guys. Seven. There's seven more pages to go. <laughs> hey, I'm sorry. I told I like you it how was long. I went with seven pages, and you went with seven victims. It just yeah. happened to land on the same number there. Lucky number seven. Uh, I don't think there's anything lucky about this, though. But part of the reason why I'm doing it so in depth, depth is because I mean, Jack the Ripper got the name Jack the Ripper for a reason. Sorry that this isn't uh, fun, but Elizabeth Stride, also known as Long Liz, spent the day cleaning rooms in the lodging house where she had lived on and off for the last six years, which is a long time to live in a house like this, but you got to do what you got to do. The deputy keeper paid her for cleaning, and by 6.30 p.m. she was seen drinking in the nearby Queen's Head pub. By 7 p.m. she had returned to the lodging house, and according to fellow lodgers, she was getting dressed, ready to go out, and left by 7.30. It rained heavily that night, and the next sighting of Elizabeth was at about 11 p.m. She was in the company of a man who was approximately 5'5". He had a black mustache, sandy eyelashes, and was wearing a black morning suit and a billycock hat. (laughs) Okay, wait, wait, wait. (laughs) How do you remember the color eyelashes a person had listen what? i i have no idea maybe it's something for people with good vision i don't know <laughs> sandy eyelashes anyway i'm Those sure i would love to have seen the police officer's expression when they got that <laughs> great that narrows it down thanks i i need you can you describe <laughs> the shape of the individual eyelashes ma'am it's important how many nostril hairs did he have <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so around 11.45 p.m., another person saw her with a man that was 5'6", clean-shaven, and respectably dressed. He wore a small black cutaway coat, dark trousers, and a round cap with a small sailor-like peak. At 
12.30 a.m., another person saw Elizabeth in the company of a five foot seven man with a dark complexion and a small dark mustache. He was wearing a dark overcoat, a hard felt deer soccer, dark hat, and dark clothing. It's my opinion that this is all the same man in different outfits. And like varying levels of heel on his shoe. Interesting. Because he's got, you know, the, the trench coat one time. It just, it just makes sense to me. It's the same guy. <laughs> they didn't say in the later descriptions, though, what color his eyelashes were. So we will never know for sure. That's true. Uh, at 1 a.m., Elizabeth's body was found. She had suffered from a single clear-cut incision that measured six inches across her neck, which had severed her left carotid artery and her trachea before ending beneath her right jaw. Uh, the, the date was September 30th, 1888. So that one was relatively less frenzied. The theory there is that he got interrupted because you're never going to believe this, but there were actually two victims the night of September 30th. Dun, dun, dun. Yep. The next victims. Yeah, he had a busy night this night, I guess. I hope he never had another busy night. Uh, but this victim's name was Catherine Eddowes. She was arrested on September 29th, 1888 at around 8.30 p.m. She was drunk in public and she was much to the delight of the crowd pretending to be a fire truck. At 12.55 a.m. the morning of September 30th, 1888, which was the same time that Elizabeth Stride was discovered, she was released. And at about 1.45 a.m., so an hour after, or about 45 minutes after Elizabeth Stride was discovered, Catherine's body was discovered. So they found two bodies within like 45 minutes of each other. And they know for sure that he murdered her in the, the time between because she was released from prison or jail at one in the morning. Her throat was severed and her abdomen ripped open by a long, deep, jagged wound. Her intestines had been placed over her right shoulder, the left kidney, and the major part of the uterus had been removed. Her face had been disfigured with her nose severed, her cheeks slashed, and cuts measuring a quarter of an inch and a half an inch, respectively, vertically incised through each of her eyelids. Uh, Oh, I told you I have this thing about eyes. I told you I made no promises. Uh... Moving on quickly, uh, forcefully, a triangle incision, the top of which pointed towards her eyes, was cut on each cheek. A large portion of her right ear was later recovered from her clothing. The police surgeon who conducted the autopsy stated that the mutilations would have taken at least five minutes, which doesn't seem like enough time. But I guess if you're really pumped up, maybe I've never mutilated anybody, though, so I, I, I couldn't tell you. Um, the murders of Elizabeth Stride and Catherine Eddowes are referred to as the double event. Just from this, it's my opinion that he, his first victim, Elizabeth Stride, he was going to do his normal stuff with, got interrupted, and then kind of flew into a rage about that. Because uh, the second murder, uh, the murder of Catherine, seemed to be a lot more violent. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, if he got interrupted, maybe he just didn't have time to... <clears throat> maybe maybe he felt like it was more of like a ritual, a ritualistic type of scenario that he was creating, um, making his scene the way that he does by putting specific innards in specific spots around the body. And due to the interruption, he decided to really yeah. go at it. Mary Kelly, the next victim, was 25, and until two weeks before her murder, she had been living with an unemployed fish porter named Joseph Barnett. 
This one, uh, again, is really bad. Because he did not have an income, Mary resorted to sex work to pay the bills. This led to an argument between the two, and they got violent on a few occasions. In the late in late October, Mary invited a homeless woman named Julia to stay with him, but Joe had had enough. That was the final straw, and he moved out. They did, however, remain on friendly terms, and Joe had gone to visit between 7 and 8 p.m. on November 8th, 1888. Uh, unfortunately for Joe, that happened to be the day that she died. Mary's body was found lying on the bed in the single room where she lived at 13 Miller's Court at 10.45 a.m. on Friday, November 9th. 1888 her face had been hacked beyond all recognition with her throat severed down to the spine and her abdomen was emptied of almost all of her organs her uterus kidneys and one breast had been placed beneath her head other viscera from her body placed beside was placed beside her foot sections of her abdomen and thighs were on sections of the bed and the bedside table her heart was missing from the crime scene so you know that that's interesting but the good news is, is this is the last of the canonical five that experts agree are the confirmed victims of Jack the Ripper. The other murders in the Whitechapel murder series are less gruesome. Brutal. Brutal. I, I mean, there is one that's that's pretty brutal still, but not like to the extent where it's clear that the person that did this enjoyed just absolutely tearing someone apart. I thought you said the first two, the first two murders were contested. Technically, all 11 of these are contested, but these last five that I did are the ones for sure everyone agrees on. The The other ones are ones that they're like, well, it could have been or it couldn't have been. The MO changed, but we don't, I mean, sometimes MOs do change, so it's just kind of up in the air. Okay. And I mean, nobody really knows who or what Jack the Ripper was, so it could have been a group of people, and then the guy that really enjoyed mutilating people left the group something like that so the rest of the white chapel murders four more and they're all very short i do just feel that they're worth mentioning because again we don't know for sure 100 percent if these were included or not because we don't know who did it or why rose Milet's body was found in clark's yard on december 20th 1888 there was no sign of a struggle and the police believe that she had either accidentally hanged herself with her collar after a few too many drinks or that she had committed suicide. However, some markings on the side of her neck suggested that she was strangled. The inquest looking into her death did declare that she was murdered. As you can see, that in no way fits Jack the Ripper's MO, but it is a, a death that was ruled a murder around the same time. The next victim, well, the next death was Alice McKenzie. She was murdered shortly after midnight on July 17th, 1889 in Castle Alley. She had suffered two stab wounds to her neck and cuts were found on her body. And she had also she had also had a seven inch long superficial wound extending between her left breast and navel. Then there was the Pynchon Street torso, which was a decomposing headless and legless torso of an unidentified woman aged between 30 and 40 years old, discovered beneath a railway arch in Pynchon Street and on September 10th, 1889. Bruising about the victim's back, hip, and arm indicated the victim had been beaten extensively, extensively, excuse me, shortly before her death. The victim's abdomen was also extensively mutilated, although her genitals had not been, been wounded. So because her genitals weren't touched, they didn't believe that, some people speculate that this wasn't a Jack the Ripper murder. Okay, one more, one more, I promise. <laughs> Uh, Frances Coles was discovered February 13th, 1891. 
Her throat had been deeply cut, but her body was not mutilated. She was still alive when she was discovered, but died before medical help could arrive. And those are the Whitechapel murders. I feel like I've been talking a lot, and again, I apologize for the gruesome nature of these. So any thoughts about this so far? I know it's a lot of me talking, so. Well, I got nothing. I think it's just what we said earlier. It's hard to comprehend the level of stuff that was done to all yeah. these ladies. I just, I guess that not being in that headspace, I really don't understand why someone gets to that point. But, you know, it happens, clearly. It's happened a lot. That's why there's so many serial killers out there and so many murders. Um, so, butchers, slaughterers, surgeons, and physicians were suspected because of the manner of the mutilations. A surviving note from Major Henry Smith, acting commissioner of the city police, indicates that the alibis of local butchers and slaughterers were investigated, resulting in them being eliminated as suspects. A report from Inspector Swanson confirms that 76 butchers were visited and that the investigation included all of their employees for the last six months. A popular theory was that the pattern of the murders indicated that the murderer was a cattle driver on one of the cattle boats, which, murders aside... A cattle boat sounds fun to be on. I, I don't just, think so. I'm I pretty just like sure cows. Cows are cute. Yeah. I don't know anything about cattle boats, but I feel like the only reason you're transporting cattle is to, to deliver like, them to them. the 76 butchers. Yeah. <laughs> right? This cow is so cute. What happened to the cow? <laughs> Wait, where did my cows go? I named that one Fluffy. <laughs> oh, no. Not Fluffy. The cattle boats were examined, but the dates of the murders did not coincide with a single boat's movements, and the transfer of a crewman between boats was also ruled out. So, I mean, that's good, but also bad, because we still don't know who did it. In September 1888, a group of volunteer citizens in London's East End formed the Whitechapel Vigilance Committee. So kind of like a, a group of angry citizens. They patrolled the streets looking for suspicious characters, partly because of the dissatisfaction with the failure of the police to apprehend the perpetrator. And I can't imagine why they'd be mad about that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, some guys running around uh, disemboweling women. I don't yeah. know. I don't know what their problem is. That's normal, right? <laughs> Do we know that it's a guy, though? What if it's a group of angry housewives sick of their men cheating? And they're taking it out on the women they're cheating with. That's also problematic. Yeah, I'd be Are you just talking about, the... about that. Yeah. Stop disemboweling people in yeah. general. Stop it. Don't do it. It's bad. Nobody likes it. Uh, anyway, <laughs> some members also were concerned that the murders were affecting businesses in the area, which if someone was running around disemboweling women would be the, the thing I was concerned with. The committee petitioned the government to raise a reward for information leading to the arrest of the killer, offered their own reward of 50 pounds for information, which in this time I think was a pretty good chunk of money, and hired private detectives to question witnesses independently. How mad do you have to be at the police force for you to be like, mm, you know, I'm going to have this guy question them. I mean, Police, I'll give you guys 50 pounds if you can figure out that it was we who did it. <laughs> they'll never suspect it police surgeon thomas bond gave a profile on the murder's surgical skill and knowledge this was kind of the first case of police profiling which is pretty interesting he wrote all five murders were committed by the same hand in the first four the throats were cut from left to right and in the last case the mutilation was so bad it was impossible to say 
All circumstances surrounding the murders show the women must have been lying down when murdered, and in every case, the throat was cut first. So at least he didn't mutilate them while they were still alive. That doesn't make it a lot better, but a little better. Could you imagine just having your innards just removed while you're still alive? I I don't want to think about it. I don't want to imagine that, Storm. My goodness. Bond was strongly opposed to the idea that the murderer possessed any kind of scientific or anatomical knowledge, or even the technical knowledge of a butcher. In his opinion, the killer must have been a man of solitary habits, subject to periodical attacks of homicidal and erotic mania. There is no evidence that the killer engaged in sexual activity uh, with any of the victims, yet psychologists suppose that the penetration of the victims with a knife and leaving them on display in a sexual degrading position with the wounds exposed indicates that the killer derived sexual pleasure from the attacks. So there was no sexual assault, but the killer still got sexual satisfaction from it. Well. (laughs) Over the course of the Whitechapel murders, the police, newspapers, and other individuals received hundreds of letters regarding the case. Some letters were well-intentioned offers of advice on how to catch the killer, which, as a police officer, how much would that piss you off to get a letter of, well, this is how you should catch them. (laughs) I, I think I would just be angry. It could just be me, though. Uh, But the vast majority were hoaxes or generally useless. There were hundreds of letters that claimed to be from the killer, but only, I think we have five total, are considered plausible. So, if you go to where you saved those handy letters at, I'm going to give you a little bit of background, and then I will have you listen to them. So, the first letter is known as the Dear Boss Letter. It was dated September 25th, and it was postmarked September 27th. It was received and sent to Scotland Yard on September 29th. Go ahead and listen to the first letter. Dear boss, I keep on hearing the police have caught me, but they won't fix me just yet. I have laughed when they look so clever and talk about being on the right track. That joke about leather apron gave me real fits. I am down on whores, and I shan't quit ripping them till I do get buckled. Grand work the last job was. I gave the lady no time to squeal. How can they catch me now? I love my work and want to start again. You will soon hear of me with my funny little games. I saved some of the proper red stuff in a ginger beer bottle over the last job to write with, but it went thick like glue and I can't use it. Red ink is fit enough, I hope. (laughs) Haha. The next job I do, I shall clip the lady's ears off and send to the police officers just for jolly, wouldn't you? Keep this letter back till I do a bit more work, then give it out straight. My knife's so nice and sharp, I want to get back to work right away if I get a chance. Good luck. Yours truly, Jack the Ripper. Don't mind me giving the trade name. P.S. Wasn't good enough to post this before I got all of the red ink off my hands, curse it. No luck yet. They say I'm a doctor now. Ha ha. Okay. Alright. One, uh, Jesse did an amazing job. Thank you again, Jesse. So, uh, yeah, my voice was not suited for this, so I'm glad that he read it. What did you guys think? Well, he sounds like he was just a common person. And he's getting his kicks that they're making him, buffing him up so much. I thought you were talking about Jesse for a second. I was like, wow, okay. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, him too. No, I'm just kidding. No, I agree. He borrows my sundial. Like, this is just kind of like a a taunting, a taunting letter, I'd say. 
Absolutely. What do you think, Jackie? I don't know. Thank you for your a insight. Lot of, a lot of play after serial murders and stuff, a lot of people mail fake letters in. Mm-hmm. But I will say. Yeah, I just, I just can't imagine somebody. I feel like it's a hoax still. Yeah. Okay. So I don't have anything to base it on, just a feeling, but I don't feel like I feel like the serial killer would take his crimes like seriously, right? And I feel like this guy's making light of it a little bit. Well, I mean the Zodiac did the same thing. And uh like the But his letters weren't all like his letters weren't joking about it, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, I they were taunting sense, the police. His, the Zodiac's letters were taunting the police, and this guy's taunting the police here, too. But he wasn't joking about the killers and talking about sending, like, it just... Okay. Well, before you get into that, let me say that all five of these letters were the same handwriting, and that a lot of stuff he said in them did actually happen. Because this letter was received three days before Catherine Eddowes was found. And if you recall, her ear was actually cut off. He didn't mail it to the police as it was lost in her clothes. But that's one of the reasons why they think that um, this is plausible. And we don't know, we'll never know for sure if this was actually the killer. These are just, these are just some things that they deem could have been from him, you know? Hmm. Um, So the next letter is known as the Saucy Jack postcard. Um, so go ahead and listen to that one. I will play it as well. I was not cutting, dear old boss, when I gave you the tip. You'll hear about Saucy Jackie's work tomorrow. Double event this time. Number one squealed a bit. Couldn't finish straight off. Had not the time to get ears off for police. Thanks for keeping last letter back till I got to work again. Jack the Ripper. Hmm. So there's that one. Again, same handwriting. Again, just plausible. It could very well still be a hoax. I mean, it's kind of creepy, I think. So what did you guys think? That one is a little bit shorter, and I'm myself and waiting to hear the other ones to kind of get a better like understanding of if these letters are really linked and whatnot. After listening to Jackie, I also was starting to get the wheels turned, the cogs turning into my head, thinking about if this, with the way that this guy mutilated before, if he was as he, as cocky as he sounds in these letters, or if he was more like some precise person where he was strictly professional because he wanted to get the murdering done in such a vulgar way. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I'd agree with that because it is still up in the air. Like, no, nobody knows for sure. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Jackie? I agree. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, these next three are uh, all kind of related. They, they didn't go to the media like the last two. Um, they actually went to the president of the Mild End Vigilance Committee, whose name was George Lusk. Hoax or not, because all five of these were the same handwriting, and if any of the letters were to be from Jack the Ripper, these were the most plausible. The fact that this guy sent, or person, excuse me, sent letters to the head of the committee trying to find him shows a level of, like, arrogance, I think. Uh... So this one is the first Lusk letter. I write you a letter in black ink as I have no more of the right stuff. 
I think you are all asleep in Scotland Yard with your bloodhounds, as I will show you tomorrow night, Saturday. I'm going to do a double event, but not in Whitechapel. Got rather too warm there. Had to shift. No more till you hear me again, Jack the Ripper. So that was the first letter out of three. Wait, was this one before the actual double double murder? Yes. Or no? Yes, okay. it was. Um, I think this was sent at the same time that the first letter was, which is three days before the double event. So these letters, mm-hmm. in conjunction to the murders, when did these letters take place? They took place during, like, in between the killings, all throughout 1888. So, like, within the first three murders or after... The original murders where they all look like they had the same profiling. So these all took place during the canonical five that are actually attributed to Jack the Ripper. So the first letter was received September 25th, which was so that was the third murder into the well, technically it was right. It was like three days before the third and fourth murders. Okay, so when we did have the double murder um, at the end where we were talking about how he could have been interrupted by the second person, if he is specifically trying to do a double murder and writing about him doing or planning said double murder, then I guess that kind of rules out the surprise aspect of the second person, right? Right. Well, right. I, I mean, I think that he could have been planning on doing two, but I think the fir- the reason that there's such like a disparity between how bad the first and second ones were is because he didn't get the chance to finish what he wanted to do with the first one. So right, think- we were just saying earlier when you were talking about it that it sounded like he was surprised during that one. Oh, And then got yeah, angry yeah. about it and then extra but- mutilated the second one because of it. But it sounds like he already planned to do the two and maybe he didn't finish with the first one because he was just trying to go out with a bang on that second one since yeah. these were the five that were like actually... Very like the ones that were definitely considered to all be the same person before mm-hmm. they started changing. So maybe he did just strictly, this is my five that I'm doing. This is my going out with the bang. So I'm really going to show you some work. Yeah, it no, also sounds that makes like sense. he knew who he was going to attack before. I don't think he knew who he's going to attack. I think that this was just a really poverty stricken area with a lot of women that participated in sex work. So I just think that maybe it was easy to find victims which I'm not victim blaming or anything. You have to do what you have to do, but... So he just knew the amount of people, like, when and where beforehand? Yes, because in this area, a lot of the alleys were very dimly lit and were well-known areas that sex workers would go. Like throwing a worm into a pond that's filled with fish. You're going to catch something. Yeah, and... But what about the girls who were found in their, like own houses in their own rooms there was just one and because she had a single house she was still participating in sex work to make ends meet so she could have been bringing people back there so maybe she met a client and that client happened to be jack the ripper because these murders these victims were found in places that they would routinely take clients to so i don't think Mm. jack the ripper like surprised sex workers while they were with the clients i think he was soliciting them in uh, no i I just thought maybe he had an idea of who he was going to pick next. I don't think he like barged in on people while they were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he could have because a lot of the women that were out stayed in generally the same areas. So he could have seen them before and like picked them out, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think I think he very well could have. I think with this guy, 
I wouldn't underestimate his intellect on how he would go about things. Yeah. Just strictly based off of how he went about um, the murders, he definitely has some knowledge in at least, you know, cutting and doing things, which means he's probably has some sort of knowledge in, you know, surgical, surgeon, something, butchering. So he could have just been planning this all out this entire time, and I wouldn't put it, like, put that away and just be like, oh, he just randomly did stuff because there's probably a very good chance that he thought this all out and that's why he never got caught. Yeah. You know. Because when people don't think things out, they get sloppy and that's what gets them caught. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you're right, Jackie. I think I think he did kind of pick people out. So the next letter is the Bye Bye Boss letter. And this was also to Mr. Lusk. And I want to say that this is between um, the fourth and the fifth murder. Say, boss, you seem rare frightened. Guess I would like to give you fits, but can't stop time enough to let your box of toys play copper games with me, but hope to see you when I don't hurry much. Bye-bye, boss. One, I just, I'm a little concerned at how well well Jesse did reading these letters. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) He's got a, like, deep, sultry voice, and it's good for, uh, being intimidating i guess that's that one he seems to be gloating less now kind of he's rushed he's rushed yeah no no no. that's a great even you mentioned it in that i'll definitely be doing i'm pretty sure too if i can actually get the correct quote and yeah but hope to see you when i don't hurry much yeah Go ahead, Jackie. I'm sorry. Bo- no, no, no. <laughs> it's hard because we're not next to each other, so I can't see when you guys are starting to talk. Sorry. That's okay. The boss is talking about the police, right? I think he's just, I think that's just a way people um, greet he's each other. He's got to be referring to somebody. He's not talking to. Well, he's right now he's talking to Mr. Lusk, the, the president of the the vigilance committee. Yeah. Then yeah, we so, sent the letter to. Okay. I believe this is to that guy, and he's being chased by the cops. Yes. Like, they're on his tail. So he's letting him know, I am in a hurry. The police are near. So this is a quick one. How I'll nice of know. him to keep that guy up to date. Yeah. So something yeah. did happen after he got this letter. A mysterious man was lurking around um, where George Lusk lived, and it's believed that it could be Jack the Ripper, but it could also just be a weird guy. Um, it's never been confirmed, but I hope to see you and I don't hurry much. And then there's this weird man lurking around. I definitely think you're right about him being rushed because the third letter was filled with spelling mistakes. It didn't really make a lot of sense, um, but it is definitely the same handwriting as the others. The, fr- the, the last letter, let me be specific, is the From Hell letter. From Hell. Mr. Lusk, sir. I sent you half the kidney from one woman, preserved it for you. The other piece I fried and ate. It was very nice. I may send you the bloody knife that took it out if you only wait a while longer. Signed, catch me when you can, Mr. Lusk. I would like to point out that a piece of kidney was included with this letter. So, you know, that's uh, Gross. Yeah, some nice mail. Eat it. <laughs> if these letters are from Jack the Ripper, I think this kind of just shows a, like a, a descent into madness a little bit. I think he started to enjoy the chase a little bit. 
Yeah. So that's the last letter um, that could have been from Jack the Ripper. So what are your guys' thoughts? I hope he died. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like a lot of people feel that way. Uh, I mean, I do. But, I mean, he stopped killing that we know of. Yes. I almost feel like he left the area. I'm, I'm almost under suspicion that it was getting way too hot and he was getting a little bit too invested and i think that he just had a moment where he was like all right well this is this is it here i've got to skedaddle on out because i am on the run and they're starting to figure out too much it's kind of kind of what it sounded like as the letters got shorter and talking even about being more hasty than being right there Mm -hmm. that sort of thing so do you guys think that this could have been from jack the ripper or he's still kind of leaning on them no i changed my mind after after it became more clear that he sent the letter saying he was going to do two victims in a night and then he killed two victims in a night makes it a little harder to argue that maybe it's someone else yeah and uh the last letter was sent after the final murder where her kidney was missing as well as her heart and he sent a piece of the kidney (laughs) Which is kind of yeah. like a little clue. Yeah, a little bit. I wonder if he took the heart as the last, like his last murder. He that was his trophy, and he put it into a jar. And he was some sort of like scientist feeling type of person, and that's why he was so good with a scalpel blade. Is he was just some sort of you know basement scientist just trying to pull his own little experiments, and he just was starting to get a little psycho. You know what, though? That is a really good point. Yeah. I bet he must have worked in, like, a butcher shop, medical field, or Mm -hmm. even, like, a fisherman. So, to pause real quick, not that this is funny, but it's kind of funny. If he did move out of the area, could you imagine trying to go through customs with a human heart? Like, (laughs) probably ate it. Uh, uh, Um, No. (laughs) He ate the kidney. I know. I mean, uh, okay. Well, what time frame was this again? You said it was in the 1800s? Like the late 1800s, yes. 1888, ah! 1889. <laughs> I'm going to board this boat, but I don't look in my bag, okay? Him. Yeah. Could you imagine like him walking onto a boat and like dropping a suitcase and the human heart tumbles out? I'm well, sorry. You didn't have to like leave the, leave the country. You could have just... <laughs> I I think it's a humorous over. situation that... I mean, it's not that humorous, but humorous. a little... <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Get it? Oh my god. Ah, I see what you did there. (laughs) I didn't say it. (laughs) I I think you did. Anyway, um, not that this is a funny situation, but something funny in the situation is just, can you imagine someone walking on a boat and dropping their luggage and just a heart tumbles out and he goes, don't mind that. It's a a cat heart. It was a really large cat. Mm -hmm. I don't know. This just I think that was funnier. He'd probably get away with it. He'd be like, this is, I'm a scientist. This is this 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 here's my list of things to do things especially if he was a doctor (laughs) or if he was a butcher this is a a cow heart from that cattle boat potentially this this is fluffy's heart i'm so sorry but i had to keep a part of her ew (laughs) this whole thing is you that police were really bad then so i'm just gonna go with the fact that he was really good uh no police are pretty bad then they didn't really contain crime scenes and they let the media just kind of walk all over everything John Mulaney has a really good bit about this. <laughs> I would highly recommend. Okay, I can do that. Okay. It, he's 
I think the parts I'm going to butcher this but not like oh, never mind so uh, there's this part where he's like 19 or 1800 police work must have been so easy like ew get all this blood out of here mop that up now back to my hunch <laughs> <laughs> oh no I would highly recommend John Mulaney any day anyway so there was a good thing to come out of the Jack the Ripper murders and that's because it brought attention to the very poor living conditions of the East End and galvanized public opinion against the overcrowded and sanitary slums. So in the two decades after the murders, the worst of the slums were closed and demolished. So they, they really tried hard to kind of clean up this area and give people more affordable housing, get the slums fixed up, things like that. Well, a large part of the reason why this guy was able to get away with it for so long is the amount of law... When people are living in poverty like that, it's harder for the police to do any sort of actual policing there. Yeah. With the prostitution, with all the people there. With the sex work. It's good that they closed, like, tried to clean it up a little bit. Yeah. So now I would like to get into the suspicious faces. There are literally 20 I found, but... That number just keeps going up and up and up and up the longer you look. So I just kind of picked five. None of them can be, all of them can be ruled out, of course, because if they couldn't, then we wouldn't uh, have an unsolved case on our hands. So the first suspect is a man named Aaron Kozminski. He had become insane owing to many years of indulgence in solitary vices, which I think means like alcoholism. Um, He had a great hatred of women, especially sex workers. He also had a strong uh, sense of homicidal tendencies and was sent to an asylum in March of 1889, which is around the time when Jack the Ripper murder stopped. The admission book stated he declares that he is guided and his movements altogether controlled by an instinct that informs his mind. He says he knows the movements of all mankind. He refuses food from others because he is told to do so and he eats out of the gutter for the same reason. But through all of his time at the asylum, they never found him to be homicidal in any way. This sounds like a poor man that suffers from like schizophrenia, not necessarily a man who's out to murder everyone. So for that reason, they've kind of ruled him out as a suspect. The next suspect is Thomas Cutbush. He was named as the killer in the Sun newspaper in February of 1894. They claim that Cutbush had caught a venereal disease from a sex worker and that the resulting delusions were what led him to kill sex workers. Another source said he had contracted syphilis in 1888. And since that... Ah, His name is Cutbush and he has syphilis. Jackie. (laughs) I'm just saying, if I had a name like that, I'd be mad at the world, too. And that, Uh. since that time, he had led an idle and useless life. And the person that described his life like that should not take a look at mine. Because of this, he believed that people were trying to poison him. However, Cutbush's asylum documents and records say nothing of any venereal diseases and state that his issues were hereditary Uh, He was not listed as suicidal, but was a danger to others and often caused fights. So I kind of think this is the media just trying to find anything they possibly could to put out there. (laughs) Because, you know, uh, like Jackie said, Cutbush and Syphilis, you know, it's a little too good to be true there, I think. So the next suspect is George Chapman. He was originally named Severin Klowoski. He qualified as a junior surgeon in Poland in 1887 
later that year, he had quite a career change because he moved to London and found work as an assistant hairdresser. In well, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's still cutting parts of the body, right? Yep. In October of 1889, he married Lucy Banderski at... And by 1890, he was working at a barber shop in George Yard off of Whitechapel Street. The couple moved to America in 1891, but following a violent argument, his now pregnant wife returned to England where she gave birth to a baby girl. A few weeks later, he also returned to England and he and Lucy were briefly reunited. But in 1893, he found a new woman coincidentally named Annie Chapman, which was the name of one of Jack Thorpe's victims. Um, And he, yeah, and he changed his name to George Chapman. I feel like if he was Jack the Ripper, he wouldn't let his wife leave him. Like, Well, let me continue. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> his next lover was Mary Spinnick, who he claimed to have married. However, she died on Christmas Day in 1897. His next wife, Bessie Taylor, died February 13th, 1901. He married again to a woman named uh, Maud Marsh. She died on October 2nd, 1902. I believe his other two wives died while he was with them as well, but it's a little unclear. And he was uh, in America at this point or back in England? He was back in England. Uh, Maud's family was very suspicious, as anybody should be, and the bodies of his first two wives were exhumed and traces of poison were found. So Chapman was arrested, found guilty, and executed on April 7th of 1903 because in this time period they didn't fuck around. Okay, uh. but still, you're Jack the Ripper, and instead of, like, murdering your wives, you're poisoning them now? That's- Right, that is the main <laughs> argument against him is that the killer's MO wouldn't change so drastically. Right. Um, but an argument for is that these are women that are close to him, not just random women, so. I mean, husbands kill their wives, unfortunately, all the time. So. If, if somebody who's murdered is killed, well, okay. Whenever someone's murdered, the first person they look at is the spouse. Okay, so what you're saying is if I murdered, Ryan did it. Maybe. Ryan, I'm on to you. Statistically probable that he would be the one to have murdered you. (laughs) I gotta leave him now, so. Check his nightstand for sundials. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) If anyone owns a sundial, that's red flag number one. (laughs) All right. So I just have three left. So another suspect was Dr. Francis Tumblety. Uh, Prior to and during the Jack the Ripper murders, Chief Inspector John Littlechild, which was a terrible last name, uh, was head of the Metropolitan Police Special Irish Branch, although Littlechild had very little to do with the Jack the Ripper case. He had contact with police officers who did. Uh, It was his opinion that, and I quote, among the suspects, and to my mind, a very likely one, was Dr. T, who is an American quack named Tumblety. Tumblety was arrested for gross indecency, but he did skip bail. So he was arrested, posted bail, and then pieced the fuck out of town. So he was a quack, meaning he sold <laughs> fake medicine. Does that mean he also was not a doctor? Probably. Little Child insisted that he had committed suicide around the time the Ripper murders had ended, but Little Child was incorrect, and Tumblety had simply escaped to New York. So wait, wait, is Little Child the suspicious face here, or is it Tumblety? Tumblety is. Little Child is just a, a police officer wait. this time that had a theory. Okay. With a terrible last name. Well, the uh, doctor fit. So the doctor took off 
to New York, you said? Yeah. Um, uh, but... Like, for a heart? Uh, you know, I don't know. <laughs> Let's just start doing that from now on. Anybody that's traveling, check their luggage for a heart. Good idea. But in New York, he was followed by police because he was arrested for... Uh, in, uh, what was it? Uh, gross indecency. So they were not very happy. He moved to New York. But the New York inspector Byrons laughed at the suggestion Tumbletree was the Whitechapel murderer and he was never pursued as an actual suspect. Because it's so funny, you know. Well, I mean, that's like people saying Ted Cruz is a Zodiac killer. I think that's funny because it's just ridiculous. Because you're not a police inspector. Interesting. I, I'm aware, yeah. but it's it's kind of the same thing. Like, he was never connected to the murders at all. This guy was just like, hey, I know who it was. That guy. Get him. Yeah, I can see where you're going with that. Yeah. The next suspect is James Maybrick, who is a cotton merchant. Uh, in 1992, a man named Michael Barnett. So 1992, over 100 years after the murders, I would just like to, to, to really highlight. Okay, you guys following 100 years after the murders? Yeah. Yep, yep. Okay. A man named Michael Barnett produced a journal that he claimed had been given to him by a friend the previous year. Although the author doesn't identify himself, it is quite obvious from various personal references and other information that the journal did belong to James Maybrick, supposedly. Maybrick died in May of 1889, and shortly after, his wife Florence was arrested and charged with poisoning with him with arsenic. In the diary, the author makes the claim that he had seen his wife, who he called, quote, the bitch, or, quote, the whore, with her unnamed lover in Whitechapel. The rage he felt after this is what supposedly set him on his murderous rampage. The journal contains a long-winded description of the murders, before signing off saying, I give my name that all know of me. So history do tell what love can do to a gentle born man. Yours truly, Jack the Ripper. And I would just like to pause here and say, if your wife cheats on you and you go into a murderous rampage, you are not a gentle born man. I do want to say that even that little snippet of a note sounds a lot more eloquent than the other notes that we were read. Uh, yes. Gentle born man. Mm. Well. Sounds suspicious. It's funny you say that because huh. the diary is likely forged. Michael Barrett so <laughs> Michael Barrett confessed that he forged it, later retracts this confession, and his wife stated it had been in her family possession since the Second World War, which is funny because Michael Barrett said his friend gave it to him on a bar. So, you know, everything's adding up. It's definitely real 100%. Sounds about right. I have one last one. This gentleman... Uh, slash suspect is named Walter Sickert. Several authors, not policemen, authors, have linked Jack the linked him to Jack the Ripper over the years as either someone that helped or an informant or Jack the Ripper himself. Uh, the most recent author was Patricia Cornwell, who identified Sickert Sickert as the murderer in her book Portrait of a Killer: Jack the Ripper Case Closed, which I did read. Uh, was very disturbing. A lot of talks about this guy's penis. I'll get into that. Oh. According to Cornwell's theory, Walter Sickert had been made impotent by a series of painful childhood operations for a fistula of the penis. Do you, either of you know what a fistula of the penis is? I don't think I, nope. I want to know. Well, I'm going to tell you anyway. And here we <laughs> go. <laughs> so sometimes a common birth defect is called a fistula so it's when your indoor plumbing kind of gets mixed up so things aren't wired right 
pee out of your anus. Oh, uh, out of your urethra. Like things oh, just. Oh, no. Yeah. So things that just. That sounds painful. Yes. So because of that, a lot of times when it is um, a penile fistula, they have to take sections of it off, which can lead to impotency, things like that, which is what she, Patricia Cornwell, said had happened. This had scarred him emotionally, according to her, and left him with a pathological hatred of women. Um, doubts of her theory were raised, as evidence shows Sickert was not impotent as his first wife had divorced him, citing adultery as the reason. In addition, he is believed to have had several mistresses and at least one illegitimate child. So, Yeah, that lady sounds like she's... Also, how would she know? She That seems pretty private. She is a well-known author who could really spare no expense looking into like forensic evidence and researching Jack the Ripper. So she was able to go to places and get all these records and things like that. But the hospital that Sickert went to specialized in rectum fistula uh, services, not really penile ones. So it's possible that she could have got the areas wrong. This poor man was alive in the 1890s and we are talking about his penis today in 2020. So it's it's her theory that he is the Jack the Ripper case and she does make strong claims and they are interesting. I would highly recommend you reading the book if you are interested in this. But there is some doubts as to whether or not he was impotent like she believed he was, which is the entire basis for him being a suspect, is his impotency caused him to have pathological rage towards women. <sighs> and that's... Well, I mean, if they had to do surgeries on his penis and all of that stuff, too, it would kind of connect on how he mutilated the vaginas of his victims, right? Right. And I mean... Her main argument is that, like, he would hire sex workers and then they would laugh at him for his lack of a penis. And that's what would set him off. Um, but, again, that is just all speculation. There's yeah. really no way to know for sure, unfortunately. Yeah. But that hour and a half uh, section of me reading aloud to you was the story of Jack the Ripper. I didn't go into nearly as much detail as I could have. This is just kind of an overview, but it was a lot. It was one of the most well-documented, one of the earliest well-documented serial killers that took place. Um, I thought it was really interesting. It is kind of sad that this happened, but I mean, there was some good that came out of it. People started to realize, hey, this is kind of a shit place to live. Maybe we should fix this. Unfortunately, five women had to die for it to get to that spot. Yeah, it's brutal. It's brutal. There's really no making the mood better after this, I don't think. So I'll just go ahead and say thanks for listening. If you have any suggestions or you want to let us know your opinions, go ahead and email us at ucsfpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at UCSF Podcast. And we are on Patreon under UCSF Podcast as well. So, yeah. I'm sorry, Storm. I think I interrupted you. What were you saying? Uh, I was going to say, so we're staying up all night, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't. <laughs> that's what definitely what helped me stay awake for my night shifts. This was like, someone's capable of this? Uh-oh. They never oh, caught him? Uh-oh. Yeah. And in the last I'm episode. I'm dead now, though. Well, I don't know. In the last episode, Jackie. There. You and I have the theory that all serial killers are the same guy. So, 
yeah, I guess the takeaway from this week is to not be friends with anyone with their own pocket sundial. <laughs> Good idea. Well, 